0: everyone, welcome to the third episode of Learn UX. If you've been following along, thanks for continuing this journey. I really appreciate the support. And if you are just joining, welcome to the family. Here, I'll share you the skills and tools of becoming a UX UI designer. And in today's episode, I'll be talking about how to conduct user research. I can't stress how important it is to do user research. If you're not doing this, I don't think you can actually call yourself a user experience designer. Think about it this way, why would you ever release anything into the wild without testing it? We prototype everything else, prescription drugs, rockets, cars, etc by designing and building something and to not have an idea how it's going to perform in the real world that's such a big risk for making and i think oftentimes companies are afraid of how expensive or time consuming it is to do research but that's really not the case you can save so much time and money by investing in research better to find out in the design stage whether or not something is going to work rather than spend all of your resources building it out and then having your customers not like it right So I'll touch a little bit on how to pitch this to stakeholders near the end of the podcast. So if the company you're working at currently does not do user research, then there are steps you can take to get your team on board. I've certainly had to do this and was met with success. So first, I'll talk about three main types of user research. You have competitive analysis, data analytics, and usability testing. So what is a competitive analysis? As the name suggests, You're doing an analysis on your competitors, but it's not limited to only your competitors. And I feel that you actually get more creative inspiration by going to seemingly different fields. It's all about exploring how others have approached a similar problem. Why reinvent the wheel? Why fix what's not broken? You learn a lot by doing this and you can get inspired, um, copy them or add your own twist or you can be like, yeah, I'm totally not doing that. So why would anyone do it that way? It doesn't make sense. I mean, learning success and mistakes from others are so crucial. Next you have data analytics. Whatever solution you're using, you want to gather quantitative data so you can study what users are doing. Look for patterns and look for things that deserve your attention. I like using data analytics when trying to determine how much effort a feature will need. If it's an existing feature and there's potentially a lot of scope to update that feature, it can be helpful to look at your data because sometimes you will find that not a lot of users are actually using this feature. So it'd be better to focus your efforts elsewhere. And while this will tell you what users are doing, it won't tell you why they're doing it, which is why it's so important to conduct usability testing. No, I don't mean A-B testing, that's still quantitative. I mean the qualitative version, where you sit down with them face to face and observe how they interact with your prototype. Here are some of the countless benefits to conducting qualitative research. You gather insights with less friction. You improve development team efficiency by testing assumptions. You improve interdepartmental relations by improving transparency. Uh, you're making sure that what we're, you're building is what users want most. And you also lower the risks of launching features that users will not enjoy. So, what does that process look like? Um, it will vary from company to company, and you will just have to adjust accordingly. But this is what I would recommend. But just like he product, uh, this process is constantly open to critique and being iterated upon. So first is prep. Um, how do we decide exactly which questions to ask during a usability test? Well, it starts with understanding the purpose of any new project. Once we have defined the goals and problems we're trying to solve, then it will be easier to prioritize the data collected from our research. Uh, so there's brainstorming. Um, The whiteboard will be our best friend during this process. So there are going to be several sections that need to be thoughtfully written and discussed. So we'll start high level and drill down. Um, When you're on your whiteboard, you want to write down your goals. So having alignment on the goals will help everyone focus on the right track moving forward. What are we trying to accomplish with this project? What is the purpose of this feature that we are designing? Um, You also want to write down some use cases. So what are all of the things that we want users to accomplish with this feature? What are some situations that users may find themselves in? Think of these as functionality requirements and conditions. Also, how do we measure success? What is the metric or standard that we will hold for ourselves? How will we know that the designs have met our goals? Uh, Mockups. We always want to start with low fidelity mockups because it saves time and is very flexible and forgiving to changes. Throwing mockups on the whiteboard is a great way, um, a great start, and gives stakeholders the power to interact with the designs. So feel free to add sticky notes on the mockups to add any clarity or reminders about the designs. Um, next, on the whiteboard, you also want to put down assumptions that we want to test. So oftentimes during design feedback discussions with stakeholders, there will be arguments regarding design choices. And anytime it reaches a point where no one can agree on a direction, we can mark these down as assumptions. It's important that we validate and challenge any assumptions about user behavior, for that is the true purpose of research. It's risky to launch a fully built product without any idea how well it will perform in the real world. You also want to write down on the whiteboard um, your testing group. So now that we have a better idea of what to look for, like what type of users will give us these answers, um, is it going to be experienced users, technical users, customer facing, this will also make us think about who we're building it for. Um, So you can pull from whatever personas you may have put in together at this point as well. And um, although it is our goal to be customer-centered and to build a product that is intuitive, delightful, and beautiful, we have to understand that it is near impossible to make every type of user happy um, given our current technology. So this is a business decision at the end of the day. You're not going to make everyone happy, and some groups will have to lose out, unfortunately. So... That's all the things that you can put um, in the early stages for uh, whiteboarding um, and prepping and Now you wanna schedule all of the user testing sessions on everyone's calendar. So if you are doing three rounds of five interviews each round, then please schedule all three rounds and allow for enough time in between those rounds to iterate upon the designs. Um, So users can express interest and be considered for recruitment by filling out a form as well. And um, you can also, you know, work on any user testing scripts, you know in parallel so if you have multiple people on your team then you can definitely have you know these tasks split up so now during the actual testing um, what you want to do or what I would recommend is that you put a sign on the door that just says in big bold letters um, user testing in progress and this will kind of let participants know that this is the right place to be and also um, for everybody else not to interrupt you guys because um, there's something important going on. And uh, as the participant comes in, you know, you're making small talk, saying hello, how are they doing? Um, After all that, you want to ask them if they are okay with being recorded, state your reason why you need it to be recorded. And if they're not okay with that, then that's okay. You can, um, you know, by recorded, I mean like voice recording, screen recording, video recording. That's what I mean. But if they're not okay with that, you can stick to pen and paper. That's fine. But if they do consent to be recorded, then have them sign a, rave, a waiver. Uh, next, you want to start screen and audio recording. Um, so at my company, we have MacBooks. So I like to use QuickTime Player, um, which is a built-in screen recording tool with MacBooks next um we'll run through the script that we put together um again that will depend on what questions you're trying to get um answered during these sessions and um just kind of explain to participant that you know we're testing the product not them so there are no right or wrong answers and for them to like you know please speak aloud their thoughts so that we could record it um so yeah they'll we, we like to test with interactive mock-ups. So it'll look and feel like the real thing, but it's actually not. It's just a bunch of uh, designs that have been um, kind of linked together. And for the longest time, um, we were using InVision, but Sketch has actually broken up with InVision uh, recently. If you haven't been following along, uh, Sketch launched 40, version forty nine. Um, point one where they actually allow you to do interactive prototyping in sketch so you don't have to um, upload it to envision and then do it in envision so it kind of skips a step which is very nice and um, I've been playing around with it it's really cool so much faster Um, it may be a bit buggy but I think they're on the right track and this is very exciting and then, so <laughs> that's a tangent um, anyways, during the user testing session, you also have um, two people running the session: the moderator and the recorder. Um, as a moderator, you know you don't want to give any hints or answers about the UI you don't want to bias or influence um, the participant you're just there to kind of you know run through a script and kind of uh, you know ask for more clarifying. Questions. Um, as a recorder, you're at, you know, you're welcome to do those questions as well. But your main goal is to record everything. Um, and, you know, as a team, like this is great because if, if only one person is doing both roles, it's going to be kind of hard to like m- juggle both at the same time. So after the session is over, um the moderator and recorder will sit together um and I like to do this like right after the session. So sit together, we watch the re- um watch the recording and, you know, save this recording to whatever cloud you have hosted. Um but yeah, throughout the recording feel free to pause if necessary to discuss what was interesting and jot down any notes on stickies. Um and so only you only want to capture notes that when the participant has completed a task in the way that we did not intend. Um we don't want to record every instance in which they validated our assumptions. We want to record when they uh didn't validate our assumptions. Like that's very useful. So after um, each testing session, these sticky notes that will be randomly placed on the whiteboard, and then after all sessions in the round has been completed, you now want to start affinity diagramming. And affinity diagramming is where you um, kind of rearrange the sticky notes and look for patterns, and those patterns will help inform your next design decision. Now I'm going to shift gears and talk about how to do affinity diagramming. So the purpose of this is that after each round of usability testing sessions, we want to evaluate all of the data and find patterns to help inform our design decisions. And affinity diagrams are a great way to organize qualitative data and turn them into concrete action items. So here's how to do that. Um, so since all the sticky notes are already randomly placed on the whiteboard, um, your job will be to kind of group the sticky notes together if they seem related to each other. And it's okay at this point not to know exactly why they relate to each other. What matters is that you feel that they are related somehow. And after you're fairly satisfied with the groupings, go through each group and write down the key finding. So our goal is to dig deep into the implications. We want to think about how this may have taught something new or validated some questions or design. Um, and from there you can make design recommendations. So think long and hard about how these findings will inform the next iteration of design. And keep in mind that these are not hard requirements, they are just things to consider. Um, qualitative data is just you know one thing to help influence design decisions. There are a bunch of other factors as well. So this all sounds great, and you're ready to do some user testing, but your company is not entirely convinced, and this is surprisingly normal. User research is not as common as we hope, but if you're persistent enough, then I think you can convince your company um, to do that. So here are some tips on how to pitch to stakeholders the importance of user research. I think proof of concept goes a long way. So, do a quick and dirty usability session with one participant and do it on a current project. By quick and dirty, I mean do the minimum viable steps. Whatever you feel is necessary to get the point across. Um, The point you're trying to get across is that, wow, we only had one participant, but we learned so much, and it didn't even take that long. And the second portion is key. It didn't even take that long. A lot of stakeholders fear that, you know, their fear circles around time. But if you show them that this isn't as time-consuming as they thought, then that will help greatly. So one thing that I believe, which is not widely accepted, is that, I don't think you need a lot of participants to conduct user testing. Five people is a good number and preferably do a one-on-one session versus a focus group. People think, oh, more data means more credibility, and we've been taught that growing up, but that usually was tied to standard research like labs, medicine, etc. Yes, they need lots and lots of data to ensure that what they're doing is not pure chance. But when it comes to how people interact with computers, it doesn't take long to notice patterns. We're more alike than we give each other credit for. And any time you conduct tests on more than five people, you're just confirming patterns at that point. But Jennifer, how did you reach the number five? It's quite simple. I read the book Design Sprint, and if you haven't read it yet, I highly recommend it. So in the book, they talk about um, how Jacob Nielsen came to the number five, and Jacob Nielsen is a pretty important dude in the UX industry. If you don't want to take my word for it, at least take his. He's been conducting research for a long time, and he wondered what was that sweet number? You know, that number where you can still learn enough to move forward and not quote unquote waste too much effort on research. So he essentially researched his own research and noticed that five was that number. And when I say five, I don't mean five total in an entire life of a project. I mean five per round of testing. So if you have a prototype you want to test, test it on five people. Then you iterate your prototype and test on another five people. So I hope that makes sense. Well, this is my longest podcast so far, but I feel like it's important to understand user research and it will help you as a designer because not only will you feel more confident about explaining why you designed it the way you did, but you can sleep better at night knowing that it wasn't blindly thrown into the wild. So that concludes the third episode of this podcast series. I hope you learned a thing or two, and if you have any questions or suggestions, please feel free to contact me at my email address, which is posted in the description. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day or evening. Till next time.